Hello and welcome to another episode of the Asian Seller Podcast. I'm your host, Megla Bhardwaj, and on today's episode, I have with me my good friend, Gary Huang, who's going to be sharing with us 10 takeaways from interviewing 27-figure e-commerce sellers and experts. Hi, Gary. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Hi, Megla. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot for joining me today, Gary. So super excited about the takeaways that you're going to be sharing with us. So first of all, before we get into that, do you want to give us a bit of a background and tell us what you have been doing for all these years and how do you help Amazon and e-commerce sellers? Yes, definitely. Well, um, thanks for having me on, Megla. I'm very excited to uh, to finally be on the Asian Seller Podcast. Um, so basically, I created an online virtual summit called the seven figure seller summit. And the reason is because I'm an Amazon seller myself. And, um, you know, in the past, I would always go to these Amazon conferences in person, like, you know, in Hong Kong, like the global sources summit, for example, I really loved, you know, learning from these experts and also, you know, networking and all that good stuff. But about um, a year and a half ago, um, I couldn't do that anymore because uh, my wife was pregnant with our first kid. So I couldn't fly to Hong Kong. I couldn't meet these people anymore. So I figured, why not do the next best thing? Why not invite these seven-figure sellers to me to teach me how they did it and teach other people online? So that's kind of the genesis behind the seven-figure seller summit. Um, you know, I really love that quote by Jim Rohn. You know, he said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, right? So, you know, Nowadays, especially, you know, we're recording during the whole COVID-19 pandemic. Most of us are stuck in lockdown at home. You know, we're in our, um, you know, with our families. So we can't really, you know, surround ourselves. So I thought that, you know, hey, this is a great opportunity for other sellers to level up. Um, so that's kind of the backstory behind the summit. Um, and then, I don't know, do you want me to get into like what I was doing before? Or yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. tell us about um, your, yeah, you, you, you were based in Shanghai, right? Yes, yes. Well, I'm not going to give you my life story, but like, <laughs> like the, the, the quick two minute um, elevator speech would be, um, I was born and raised in the States, in Los Angeles. I like to say that I was made in the USA and then I was exported to China. So, you know, I was born and raised in the States. Uh, my family is second generation Chinese American. And then um, I really wanted to pursue a career working in China because I, I knew the language. So um, long story short, 2008, I took a trip out to Shanghai, uh, no job lined up. Um, I had one really uh, good friend. He offered me a couch to crash on. So basically I stumbled on a job in uh, a consulting firm where I handled the sourcing division. So I worked there over time and gradually went up to the director of sourcing. Um, so I've literally, I visited hundreds of factories in China. Um, you know, I've dealt with the good, the bad, the ugly. And um, so basically I created a website called 8020 Sourcing where I share a lot of the, the actual um, best practices that I learned, mistakes like scams. I see some suppliers play so I can save time and money, uh, help other sellers save time and money. Um, you know, especially Amazon e-commerce sellers. And I'm also an Amazon seller myself. So um, that's kind of my, my uh, story. Awesome. Okay. So for the most recent Seven Figure Seller Summit, um, this was um, released earlier this year, right? In January. Correct. And um, so, okay, so let's start. Let's go through your 10 takeaways. What's the first one? Definitely. So, um, after interviewing over 20 of these seven figure sellers, I noticed that there were a lot of common threads that I heard over and over again, you know, in terms of the different parts of their business. Um, you know, we focused on five different parts of uh, a business. So we focused on uh, mindset. We focused on scaling a business, marketing and branding, uh, profitability and exits. So these are just my personal top 10 takeaways and hopefully they can be helpful to some of the other entrepreneurs listening today. So number one, at least for me, um, is a kind of a mindset takeaway. And then the number one thing is 
successful entrepreneurs, they get around excuses. Okay. Successful entrepreneurs will get around excuses because one of the short things in running a business, I know that, you know, Megala, you probably will agree with this is that you will face challenges. You will face problems, setbacks, you know, Murphy's law, you know, anything bad can happen, will happen, you know, hundred percent, no doubt about it. So I noticed that what sets these seven figure sellers apart is that when they're faced with these trials and tribulations, uh, they found ways to get around these problems or these excuses. Because some people would just say, oh, you know, it's, um, you know, it's a pandemic, I'll, I'll just wait, or, you know, I can't do it now. But these seven-figure sellers, you know, when faced with these problems, they did not throw in the towel, okay? Um, so case in point, one of the seven-figure sellers I spoke with, Chris Davey, um, and I think you know Chris as well, yes. he shared... Yeah, for his Amazon business, um, when he was expanding into Amazon EU in Europe, he shared it was a pain in the butt to deal with European VAT, VAT, and the whole bureaucracy and all the extra administrative work that it entails. So he shared that he spent dozens of hours, if not more, on fulfilling all of these cumbersome requirements so that they can legally sell on Amazon EU marketplaces. So some people may have given up if they face these challenges and they made the excuse that it's probably not worth it or they don't know what to do. But Chris was really determined to get around these excuses and find a way to get it done. Uh, so the main takeaway here is that, you know, he actually sees these challenges as barriers that keep out his competitors. And he said, especially competitors from countries like China, because he feels that probably they aren't willing to go through this process. So as a result, this means it's more business for him because he finds ways around these excuses. Okay. Right. And, then, and how do, how do uh, these sellers, you know, where do they find the motivation to do that? Cause I think one problem is that um, sometimes you just get stuck in your, um, you know, you give up because you're not motivated enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. And then this is a question I asked another one of the seven figure sellers, Jason Vandergrint. Um, he's a one man, uh, $1 million business based in mm -hmm. Canada. Um, and so I asked Jason, you know, how, how do you like not procrastinate? You know, how do you, how do you motivate yourself? And then he shared that previously in his day job, you know, he really hated having to work, um, having to wake up to an alarm clock. Okay. He hated that. He wished that he could just, you know, get up out of bed whenever he wanted to. The second thing that he used as motivation is he really hated his commute, like to and from work. So he was stuck in traffic. Um, so that was number two. And then number three, you know, he really hated like other people telling him what to do, right? He, he was more independent minded. So every time, you know, he was faced with the challenge of motivation, he just reminded himself like, Jason, do you want to get up to the alarm clock at six o'clock every morning? You know, so he used these types of, you know, like motivating, um, like mindset hacks, so to speak. I mean, obviously everybody's different, right? Um, so, I mean, for me, for example, just the fact that uh, I, I use like travel as a motivator because, you know, I really love um, you know, traveling to new countries, you know, experiencing the new foods, the new cultures. And then the fact that, you know, if I don't succeed, that means I'm stuck in one place. I'll, you know, I won't be able to get out. So I, I feel like, I mean, you got to go deep down inside into your own mindset and find out what motivates you and then use that as a way to kind of light that fire under you to, to get around these excuses. If that makes sense. Awesome. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So what's number two? Okay. Uh, number two, is in terms of product selection, especially now in 2020, is to get off of Amazon to find profitable products. So mm -hmm. as many of you guys know, what may have worked in 2016 to rank and sell on Amazon doesn't work as well today. So the old way of relying only on research tools to come up with product ideas doesn't work the same when there's literally over like a million sellers that are using the same tools and the same methodology. So it, it's like the saying goes, if you start out from the same place as everyone else, you end up in the same place as everyone else, right? So what may look like a profitable product opportunity right now can be a flooded market three to four months down the line when there's like hundred other people uh, using the same tools, the same research criteria, sourcing the same product and shipping them to Amazon. So um, talking to seven figure seller, Tim Jordan, uh, who we know quite well, um, 
Tim shared that looking on Amazon alone can lead to very saturated niches. So instead of that, Tim has a couple of other strategies. So first he uses external sites away from Amazon, such as Pinterest and such as CrateJoy to find profitable product ideas and keywords. And then uh, Tim especially loves subscription sites like CrateJoy because they source new and trending products that can be months or even years ahead of the mainstream, mainstream demand found on Amazon. So they're very early on in the product life cycle. And then if you can get in on this early, you're able to capitalize on the demand before everyone else. So after coming up with these ideas away from Amazon, Tim then uses research tools such as uh, Helium 10 to check the keyword search volume to make product decisions. So even though there's early demand for these products, the products are not necessarily there yet on Amazon. So he's able to identify them off of Amazon. Right. Um, that right. totally makes and sense. And he, he talked about this approach in Project X as well that he did with Helium 10. That's right. That's right. So that's one of the, the ways to find pro uh, products off of Amazon. And then uh, similarly, other sellers such as uh, Chris Davey, again, he uses non-Amazon sites such as Etsy in his product niches to find out what customers are searching for. And he can also gauge interest and in, uh, product demand there. And not only that, he goes onto Reddit and then he goes, uh, uses uh, subreddits to get feedback on new product designs before he even manufactures them. Um, and then this is kind of like the, the lean startup methodology, like what they call the minimum viable product principle, where you invest like the minimum amount of time and capital in kind of like a hypothetical product in order to test it. And then if you can validate it using you know, real user feedback without committing to placing a purchase order, um, you know, that would cost you thousands of dollars and months to manufacture and ship from a foreign country, then you're really shortcutting this process and taking a lot of risk out of the equation. Okay, so these are some ways that these seven-figure sellers are getting off of Amazon um, to find profitable product ideas. Yeah, and I then, think that really makes sense. But I guess just one thing that people should be aware of is you want to make sure that there is some keyword, there are some keywords or keyword phrases on Amazon that you can actually use for these products. Because if no one's really searching for these products, then it doesn't make sense to sell them at Amazon because no one will be able to find them. So I think that's another thing just to keep in mind because I remember Chris Thomas had shared uh, this story that he had this really cool product, which was a rattle that was attached behind a cell phone to get a baby's attention so that they, you could take photos of the baby. But no one was really searching for that product on Amazon. So even though it was a great idea, he wasn't yeah. able to sell it successfully. So if, of course, you're, you're, uh, you're planning to sell primarily on Amazon, you want to make sure that there are keywords that can be associated with that product. Absolutely. And again, these sellers, after coming up with these ideas, they use the keyword research tools such as Helium 10, such as Jungle Scout to validate the search volume to make product decisions. So um, right. yeah, please don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, we should just try to come up with random ideas. And if there's zero uh, search volume on Amazon, you know, that's yeah. going to be an uphill battle. That's, that's not going to work very well. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And then um, also uh, another thing is to get off your butt. Don't just, you know, sit in front of your laptop all day, um, you know, get off of your butt to find these products. So um, these sellers, um, you know, you, you, they go to trade shows, like for example, going to India, right? The Delhi fair, you know, that's an excellent way to identify new product opportunities because, you know, most of these Indian suppliers, they're not online. They're not on Alibaba as you know, Megla, you're very aware of. So, um, uh, you know, in fact, when I visited Delhi Fair last year, um, you know, it really helped fast track my sourcing from India. I was able to find several new product ideas that I, I, um, I'm working on right now. So I feel that, you know, going offline, uh, that's an excellent opportunity right now. Obviously, right now we're in lockdown, but, you know, yeah. once things resume back to normal, um, you know, th that's an additional uh, strategy to get off of Amazon to find profitable product ideas. And again, you would need to validate them using your keyword research tools. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Number three. 
Yeah, number three, okay, this is to apply the 80-20 rule to save time and to increase profits. So one of the biggest pain points that many entrepreneurs face, especially me, is lack of time, okay? Um, you know, some are juggling family, full-time job, or, you know, a one-man show trying, one or one-woman show trying to run um, an e-commerce business. So th that's why when I interviewed Jason Vandergrint, I was, I was really shocked to learn that even though he runs a million dollar one person business, he's not busy all the time. I, because when I, when I spoke with him, I, I said, Jason, I know you were probably really busy. He's like, no, Gary, actually I'm not busy. You know, I'm like, who says that? <laughs> I mean, who's right. And then, so, so I dove a little deeper and then he shared that he applies the 80, 20 rule to decide on what tasks to work on. So more specifically, he follows Stephen Covey's seven habits of successful people. And then um, there's this time management matrix where uh, he really focuses on the non-urgent important tasks. Okay. So this way he doesn't give them a chance to get bigger. And then this saves him time later. Okay. And I also found that seven figure sellers, they apply the 80, 20 rule to work smart. Okay. Not just work hard, but they work smart to gain more profits. And then um, Brandon Dupsky um, he shared that he built a $1 million one person business selling one product working one hour per day by applying this big profits formula. So big profits formula is small work times big smarts. Okay. Small work times big smarts. So Brandon focuses on the smarts and the tasks that make money and then he outsources the tasks that are moving money. So, I mean, he's not just doing everything himself. He has, um, a team, a remote team, but he focuses on the tasks that make money. So for example, he focuses on tasks um, such as creating videos featuring himself and his children showing customers how to use their products. And then this helps him boost his sales and his brands and differentiate from his competitors. And then he notices that many of his competitors, um, especially competitors in China, they're not willing to do this. They're not willing to put their own you know, faces in the video, or maybe they just don't understand the, the culture enough about the market, about their audience to do this. Um, so this is one of the ways that um, these sellers are applying big smarts to small and small work to, to get big profits. Right. And then that totally makes yeah. sense because they don't want to work in the business, but they're working on the business, right? I, I guess exactly. many people just get stuck with the day-to-day -day stuff that they can maybe outsource to a VA in the Philippines and instead focus on maybe strategy or, you know, big picture or things that really bring in money. So that totally makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. Should I go on to the next one? Yes. Let's go on to number four. Okay, uh, number four is to build a superstar team. Okay, so when I was traveling in Thailand, in uh, Chiang Mai, I met up with Nate Ginsberg, and he's a seven-figure seller, and he's a digital nomad who spends a lot of his time traveling Southeast Asia, and he sold his Amazon business for nearly a million dollars. So when I asked him how he built his business to sell it for nearly seven figures, he said it was because of his superstar team because he couldn't have done it all himself. So Nate really hired for his weaknesses um, up with his team. And Nate shared that he's an ideas person and he's not so detail oriented. So he really hired people to build a team that was detail oriented to fill in those gaps to make his business stronger. So this was one way that he built a superstar team. He hired for his weaknesses. And then I also wanted to dig deeper into learning the benefits of working with the superstar team. And then I learned that your team not only can support you, but you can also learn valuable information from them. So for example, CJ Rosenbaum, and then he, you know, he runs a successful law firm in New York to help Amazon sellers protect their brands and get their accounts back in suspensions. Um, and then CJ shares that he meets with his team every day to learn what's working and what's not, because they're the ones that are interfacing with customers. CJ's team, they're like on the front line with the customers every day. So they know the customer's key pain points, they know the customer's key goals. And then this valuable information really helps CJ tailor his services to meet the customer's demand and then 
grow his business. Okay, so he, so what, one of the other benefits of a superstar team is that you know you can learn valuable information from them. Okay, um, right. on the yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to ask, I mean, do these people actually have in-house employees um, mostly or are they building a team of freelancers and, you know, virtual assistants and people on contract instead of having full-time employees? Yeah, that that's a great question. I would say most of these sellers, in fact, probably all of these sellers, they have remote teams. So um, most of them have, have a team that is overseas, for example, in the Philippines or in Eastern Europe. Okay, um, very few of them. In fact, some of them, they used to have a local team like uh, Brandon Dupsky, for example. He, um, I would say about 15 years ago in the mid 2000s, he was one of the top sellers on eBay. Like I think he literally was maybe the number one or number two seller on eBay. And then he had dozens and dozens of employees, I believe in, in his, uh, in his warehouse in the U S. Um, and then he was really proud of that. And he showed me pictures of like, you know, people offloading these things from like forklifts, but at the end he just, he overexpanded. And then he like the costs of his business were too high. And uh, ultimately his business went bankrupt. So now like he told me that he learned his lesson the hard way. So now he has a fully remote team. So he doesn't hire local hires anymore. Um, and then, Another seller, Dave Bryant, um, he used to have a local team in Canada and he had an office. And then later, like he made the business decision to get rid of that office and have everyone work remotely um, to cut his expenses, which boosted his profitability. So when I'm getting a little ahead of us now, but um, you know, ultimately when he sold his business because his profits were higher, he was able to sell at a higher multiple. So cutting those expenses, including his local team, um, they, they boosted his business um, in the bottom line. So to answer your question, most all of these sellers, they have remote teams. Right. And even the remote teams, I mean, are they full-time employees or are they mostly freelancers and you know, contractors or is it a mix of it's a mix. Some of them are contractors that, you know, for example, they may be a video editor, um, you know, they may be a web developer, they may just handle one-offs. But some other uh, of these sellers, for example, Mike Jackness, um, he has uh, a team of full, like, like a full-time team of employees in his office in the Philippines. Okay, so they're literally like, you know, his team, you know, he, he's super close with them. In fact, um, that leads us to another aspect of building a superstar team, because one of the struggles of running a team is to motivate them to perform better, especially when you have VAs not in the same locations. Um, you know, sometimes they go missing in action, they don't reply. And, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to build a strong relationship with a remote team. So I asked Mike, you know, how do you do it? Because it seems like, you know, you're managing this quite well. So Mike shared that he visits his team of virtual assistants in the Philippines every year. And then he spends time with them in person. In fact, he actually goes to the office in the Philippines. He sits down there. He works with them in the same office for about a week. And then not only that, he spends time socializing with them uh, outside the office over meals, over team building activities. And he's even known to, uh, you know, go karaoke with them, uh, you know, for, to socialize. So this really helps to, you know, cement the relationship. Um, and on the other hand, um, Jason Vandergren, he has a, a team of contractors in Europe. So they're not, I, I believe they're not full time, like, you know, Mike's employees, but he will visit his team as well. And then he even went to uh, celebrate the birth of uh, one of his team members. Like they, they had a, a child, so he was able to, to go there in person. So, you know, one of the, the beauties of running an online business is that uh, Jason, you know, he's able to make a trip out of it um, and run his business while traveling, and, you know, um, boosting his, his, uh, his superstar team at the same time. Right. That totally makes sense. In fact, uh, when Mike Jackness visited Singapore, he, one of his team members came with him to Singapore. So <laughs> I was able to meet with her. All right. Awesome. So let's go on to number five. Yes. Okay. So shifting gears a little bit, um, marketing and branding right now, especially building a brand. This is more critical than ever to rank products, to get reviews and to sell your business for a higher multiple. Um, so building a brand, you know, it's, 
super critical right now because of the increased competition and the fact that Amazon also, it gives more weight to external traffic that drives sales. So I spoke with Dave Huss and he himself personally, he's spent over $400,000 on Facebook ads uh, for his own e-commerce businesses. And he works with a number of seven and eight figure e-commerce sellers to rank their products on Amazon on page one. So in Dave's experience, he shared that building an audience or a list on Facebook is kind of like bringing a gun to a knife fight. Okay, because you can launch to that list, you can rank new products on page one on Amazon using that list, and then you can also use that list to get reviews in a white hat way that's compliant with Amazon terms of service. Okay, so this is one of the benefits of building a brand. Okay, and um, in terms of product development, um, having a brand is uh, it can actually be like a roadmap that can help you decide what products to launch to market. Uh, Chris Davey shared that uh, he actually maps out his product portfolio based on what products would complement his brand and what products to avoid, okay? So having um, a brand of products also can help with your product development to see what would make sense. And then having a tight brand of products uh, when you decide to sell can help you get a higher multiple as well. Uh, according to Corin Woodmass, the FBA broker, um, Corin helps Amazon sellers exit for seven and eight figures. So Corin says that, um, you know, having a very tight brand of products, you know, this is in contrast to having just like a hero product that generates the lion's share of sales and some other like minor products that just, that just trickle in. Okay. So the takeaway is building a brand to beat your competitors and sell for a higher multiple. This is one of the, the key trends we're seeing right now in, in 2020. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And in fact, Amazon is also favoring sellers that have brands, right? I mean, there was this, uh, I don't know if it was a glitch or if it was uh, real, but some people could not list products unless they had a brand or unless they were brand registered. Uh, but increasingly, I think Amazon is definitely um, encouraging or favoring brands in you know, more. So I think moving forward, it'll be really important. And when you're selling on Amazon, there's just so much more benefits to, to having a brand that like you have brand analytics with all of the data access to all of the rich data that Amazon offers and um, um, also enhanced brand content or a plus content. So that's another big that's advantage. Right. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So that's, that's a really good one. And then let's move on to number six now. Yes, uh, number six. So this is talking about keywords for PPC. Okay, so um, you need to balance the data with common sense so you don't pay the idiot tax. Okay, so <laughs> okay. When, it, when it comes to Amazon sponsored search or um, pay-per-click PPC, many of you out there, including myself, you know, sometimes we struggle to run profitable PPC campaigns. Okay, so I spoke with Stefano Starkel. He's a seven-figure Amazon seller and founder of John Tools, a software that manages PPC. So Stefano shared that in the initial six to 12 months of running a PPC campaign, he only aims to break even, okay? The goal during this time while he breaks even is to mine valuable keyword data from Amazon for search terms to convert. So the reason in terms of profitability is the lack of market data and that Amazon is a pay to play game. So Stefano feels that the more you pay in PPC, the better the ranking of your product. And then only after the initial six to 12 month period will he decide whether to shift the aim from break even to profitability. Okay, so furthermore, when it comes to keyword selection, he recommends that you use your brain and not just relying on a formula based on the number of clicks, based on the, the conversion rate, et cetera. He says that every week you need to download your search term report and then manually review each keyword to decide whether it's relevant or not. So in other words, he says that focusing on, I'm not going to curse, but he said F yeah keywords, you know, these keywords that make sense when people search for your product rather than dilute your budget across less relevant keywords with low conversion rates and wasting your money and dragging down your conversion rate at the same time and paying the idiot tax. Okay. Wow. And this, so six mm -hmm. to 12 months, that's a really long time. I mean, some people might not be able to, you know, hold out for that long. Um, 
I think for most people, if a product is not profitable within the, within the first, I would say two to three months, they would, um, you know, tend to pull the plug. So what, what do you think oh, about that? Sorry. Six to 12 months. Yeah. He, he said, this is the six to 12 months of running a PPC campaign. So right. just like the goal of his PPC campaign is to break even. That's independent of his organic sales. Okay. So, so he uses the PPC campaign in the initial six to 12 months um, with the goal of mining the, the valuable keyword data that, um, that he feels. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I think you asked me what, how, what do I think about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, I think that what he said makes a lot of sense because like he helped me do like a manual review of some of my Amazon PPC campaigns. And, you know, I, I, I'm in the kitchen category and there are some keywords that I had in my PPC campaigns, but after like, you know, he really made me think about it. You know, these keywords, they're kind of not that relevant. I mean, like there could be like one or two sales, but I was throwing more and more money out of these less relevant keywords and I wasn't really getting the, the conversion rate. So by eliminating some of these like not relevant keywords and focusing on the FEA keywords, I was able to reduce my A cost and to improve my profitability. So I do think he has a point, but in terms of his strategy, I mean, every business has their own strategy. I mean, um, I think that everyone at the end of the day, they have to make their own decision for their business. But at least for me, what he said about focusing on the, the FEA keywords, that does make sense because that helped cut my, uh, my A costs. And then similarly, uh, Dave Bryant, he, he agrees with this. When I interviewed him, um, I asked him, how do you increase the profitability on your business? And he shared that he cuts out 80% of potential keywords and focuses on just two to three keywords for his PPC campaigns to get higher ROI. And then Dave Bryant is a seven figure seller as well. So um, going back to the keywords for PPC, the takeaway for me is to uh, apply the 80, 20 rule to focus on the most relevant or FEA search terms by using your brain, you know, to decide whether they're relevant or not, not just a formula. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So let's move on to number seven. Yes. So number seven. Okay. Um, as I was interviewing these seven figure sellers, the number one quote that was repeated over and over again by so many different sellers is Peter Drucker's quote, whatever gets measured gets managed. Okay. Whatever gets measured gets managed. Um, for example, um, Chris Davies products, they have over a 30% margin. And then he says that you should ask yourself if your product has enough margin for PPC. If so, then you can afford to outspend your competition and then buy your way to the top. The key is he knows his numbers. He knows that he has a 30% margin and how much he can play with for PPC to buy his way to the top. Okay. Because many sellers, they're kind of, you know, in muddy waters when it comes to how much profitability they have and what their margins are. Okay. And similarly, Chris Wallings shared that he now gets very granular when launching a new product. So every day he and his team, they are tracking all the metrics in a 35 day honeymoon period. Okay. So how many rebates are given out, how many reviews are given out, his sales numbers, etc. Okay. And I also spoke with seven figure seller, Robin Johnson, and she also very tightly tracks her Amazon product conversion rates. Every week she pulls her Amazon session reports and studies to learn what's working well and what's not. And then I know this can sound like a lot of work for, for sellers and myself included. So I learned that you can automate this process um, by using tools. Um, for example, there's tools such as Sellerboard to track your sales. Um, there's tools like SentryKit to track your keyword ranking, to monitor your listings. Um, if anything changes, if they get taken down, uh, if, they're, if you get suspended, you'll actually get notified using SentryKit first before Amazon will inform you. So this can save you tons of time and also save you money as well. Um, similarly, when selling internationally, John Cavendish, a seven-figure seller, um, he says to keep an eye on your Amazon fees to bring your international sales revenue back to your home country and to your home currency. 
So uh, when he mentioned this, I remember, I remember, in fact, I actually made this mistake myself when I first sold internationally. Um, I just did the, the easiest way to bring my money back to my home currency. So I used Amazon's default currency exchange and money transfer service. Um, if you guys take nothing away from this interview, if you just do this, you'll save thousands of dollars. So let, let me explain more. Okay. I mistakenly thought that Amazon would be a good option and later discovered that I've wasted thousands of dollars in the exchange rate and money transfer fees paid to Amazon because Amazon was charging 3.9% in fees. I didn't realize this until the end of the year when I sat down and my bookkeeper was reviewing the numbers. Okay. So if I were to give myself advice when starting to sell internationally, I would tell myself to use um, a third party payment transfer service like uh, ping pong. So this way you can lower your fees from 3.9% to 1% or even lower. Okay. So, um, you know, this is just one example, you know, whatever gets measured gets managed. Okay. So, um, you know, I made that mistake. I hope that, you know, this kind of cements the, this takeaway home. Okay. You, you really have to um, know your numbers. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And there's ping pong, Payoneer, OFX. There are quite a few different uh, tools uh, or payment solutions out there. So Gary, what are some of the metrics that you track on a regular basis? And how often do you track them? Is it weekly? Is it, I was talking to Dan Ashburn a couple of weeks ago and he says he yeah. tracks his metrics daily. So every day he's, he tracks his metrics, but you know, should it be done weekly, monthly, daily, and which metrics are the most important? Yeah. Um, I feel that one of the, so like what I said earlier, I use certain tools to help automate this process. So one of the tools um, that I use to track daily, in fact, like hourly, is Sentry Kit because this will literally detect if there's, um, you know, if you get a negative review, uh, it'll send you an email notification um, if there's any changes to your listing because sometimes, like your competitors, they'll actually go in and then swap your image out. So unless you you are, you know, following this every day or your VA, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense to use software to your advantage. So this way you can track it. Um, daily. And then also um, one of my listings was taken down by Amazon um, because of, um, I think it was the, the return rate was, was too high. It went over that threshold of about 14%. And then CentriKit actually notified me before Amazon. So um, I don't mean to like, I mean, like I'm not getting, um, I'm not sponsored by CentriKit, <laughs> but I mean, I think that this is a very useful tool that not only myself, but a lot of other sellers use as well um, to track these metrics daily. For PPC, um, I I try to every week. I try to go in um, and then track. I, I go in to review the the weekly reports. I don't track it every day because there's a, a delay. There's like two to three days, uh, but I try to go in to look at my numbers for PPC every week. Um, I don't want to get too granular because like PPC, I mean you you can hire you can get a guru to talk about that for hours and hours. But I mean on a high level, I would look at the A cost. I would look at the the conversions, the sales, and then I would move um, the search terms that are converting from um, the broad match to the exact match. Um, so on a high level, th those would be the things that I, I would track. And then also looking at the conversion rates, because conversion rates, if it drops below 10%, that really hurts your rank. Uh, that, that's another one of the mistakes that I made before. I wasn't tracking conversion rate closely enough. Um, you know, different things can affect your conversion rate, you know, negative reviews, uh, if a new, comp new competitor comes to a market. Um, um, so that's one of the key metrics that I track as well. Okay, awesome. All right, let's move on to the next one, number eight. Yes, okay. Number eight is um, to split test ideas cheaply, quickly. So nowadays, when you want to validate a product idea, rather than committing to a purchase order with a foreign supplier for thousands of dollars and waiting months for it to arrive, you can really shortcut this process by testing it quickly and cheaply using online tools. Um, 
So a lot of sellers, they can, um, you know, register a domain very cheaply to build a simple website. You know, there's different, um, you know, companies out there like GoDaddy, you literally can register a domain for like $10 or less. And then, um, for example, some of these sellers like Jason Vandergren, uh, they use Facebook ads to, uh, to validate, to test these, um, these business ideas. So they would drive about hundred people to the page using Facebook ads and then see the conversion rate to validate his idea, whether it's uh, worth pursuing or not. And then uh, split testing and especially pick foo. Um, this is one of the tools of the Titans that many e-commerce sellers uh, like Mike Jackness, like Richard Wren, they're using to rapidly test their product images, their copywriting, uh, different variations like colors, uh, to, uh, different packaging options and more. Um, you can actually do a, a very quick test. Um, you, you can run a poll using PickFu to uh, up to 50 Amazon, like real Amazon shoppers and get comments about you know what they like, what they don't like. And uh, what's really cool about this, and I, I've tested this using my own products, um, you know, like the different product images, you can even split test your own product images against your competitors to find out which one converts better. And because if your competitor is converting better according to a real world audience, then you know what you have to do. So I think it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. And then this is like, I mean, the cool thing is like this, this wasn't available probably just like three to five years ago. You know, this is something that, you know, many of the seven figure sellers they're doing right now. And then it can cost as little as like 50 bucks to run a campaign and then you can get it in as quick as 15 minutes. Um, so this way you can uh, mitigate some of the risks when you're just, you know, trying to decide what type of packaging resonates best with your audience. And then this way you can get better unboxing experience and better reviews and before you commit to a purchase order for your supplier uh, for thousands of dollars. I mean, like traditionally, you would have to like do your best guesstimate and then you probably have to pull the trigger and you know, place an order. But now, you know, you can use tools like this uh, to, to quickly split test to validate your, uh, your ideas. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. And the thing I like about PicFu is that people will actually give their comments and explain why they like or dislike a certain you know, the, the, the product or what they thought exactly about the, the copy. And so you kind of get a lot of ideas from the comments that people post over there. And um, yeah, in case anyone's interested, we do have a discount code. So you can go to pickfu.com and use the code, the Asian seller to get 50% off your first poll. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I love that segue. Yeah, pickfu is awesome. It yeah. is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next one. Number nine. Okay, number nine is talking about profitability. Okay, you should focus on the bottom line and not on the top line. Okay, so this is kind of ironic because I named the summit the Seven Figure Seller Summit, right? We're bringing in these million dollar sellers. But if you look underneath the surface, okay, um, I spoke, I invited Anna Hill, who's a CPA who specializes in helping e commerce sellers with their accounting. And then she shared that the biggest mistake that sellers can make is trying to grow their business only by increasing sales. Um, the reason is because top line revenue doesn't necessarily mean you're profitable. In fact, quite the contrary. She shared that some of the seven figure sellers that she works, she works with, they're actually in the red. In other words, they're not making any profits, but in fact, they're taking a loss. So you definitely want to know your numbers. Okay. And then um, Nate Ginsburg shared that for him, the 80-20 rule does not apply here. Okay. It does not apply here when it comes to knowing your numbers. He recommends hiring a bookkeeper and, you know, this can be part-time, a bookkeeper to track your finances and to put together a profit and loss or P&L statement and balance sheet. Um, Another seller, Brandon Dupsky, again, he agrees. He reviews his profitability dashboard every single day. This way, he knows exactly how much profit is made in every transaction. It also helps him recognize the product life cycle. The data will tell him if a, pro if a product is shifting from um, like an early life cycle product to a growing product to a mature product to a declining product. And knowing your numbers also is one of the most important things if you want to sell your business someday. Uh, Dave Bryant said that when he sold his business, the business value is based on the profits, not on the revenue. It's based on the bottom line, not the top line. So by cutting his expenses, he was able to significantly add tens of thousands of dollars to his business's selling price. So take away, know your numbers so you can properly scale your business and sell it. And the 80-20 rule 
does not apply here. Right. Yeah, totally makes sense. I think uh, a lot of the gurus out there as well, they tend to focus on the numbers and their overall sales, but fail to mention the actual profits that they're making. And that's right. misleading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's unfortunate, but it is true. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Let's get to the last one, number 10. Okay, number 10, last but not least, selling a business. Okay, for many of you guys out there, this is the end goal. You want to exit. And, um, you know, I, I've read certain statistics saying that more than half of um, what a seller makes, what, more than half of his, his or her income is based on the sale, based on the exit. So you really need to be smart to get a higher multiple. So, in fact, if, you know, a couple years ago, if you were to mention that you wanted to sell an Amazon business in like 2015, people probably thought you were crazy. I mean, like who in their right mind would want to buy an Amazon business, but now the landscape it's shifted significantly because more and more of these Amazon businesses, they're now considered legitimate investment vehicles as more investors are getting in on the action um, from institutional investors to even retirees like you know, baby boomers, you know, they want to you know, get in on some of this action as well. But there's one thing that you might not be aware of. And then this is a big problem. If you are thinking about selling your Amazon business as of this year, as of today, there's an abundance of Amazon businesses on the market. This is according to Corin Woodmass, the FBA broker. And in terms of the sell-through rate, there's only a 23% sell-through rate, 23%. So this means that less than one in four Amazon businesses that go to market are actually sold, less than one in four. So in other words, there's more sellers than buyers on the market today. Okay, so you're, you're probably thinking, what can I do to increase the chances of selling and get a higher multiple? Okay, um, so besides talking to Corin, I asked Mike Michelini, who works on the buy side at Alpha Rock, um, as well as Mike Jackness and Nick Ginsburg, who each sold his Amazon business for seven figures respectively. So I can get you know several people to uh, to to show us their insights and experiences. So a couple of takeaways about selling a business. Number one, you need a tightly focused brand portfolio of products. Okay, not just a hero product and some scattered lesser products. The products should be appealing to a common target audience and the products should complement each other. So remember the brand, okay, buyers like this. Okay, number two, in terms of margins, buyers like to see net profit margins of 30% or higher. Thin margins are not attractive to buyers and may cause your business to be skipped over by potential buyers. Okay, in addition, Buyers like to see some diversification of sales away from Amazon and at least 30%. So it's less risk for them. In other words, they don't have all their eggs in one basket. So diversification can be in the form of selling on different platforms, such as selling on your website, Walmart, eBay, or selling in different marketplaces such as Europe. Okay. And then um, finally give the buyer something that, they can improve on okay so by leaving some upside to your business that the buyer can take action on this will increase your chances of selling your business and increasing your multiple according to mike michelini okay so for example you may have a couple more vetted products that you have not been able to develop maybe because of lack of cash flow but the buyer can come in they can get these products manufactured and sold to immediately boost the sales, okay? So the takeaway from this is right now, it's a buyer's market. So make sure you have a tightly focused brand of products, net margins above 30%, diversify some of your sales away from Amazon so you're not all your eggs are in one basket and give the buyer some upside to increase your chance of selling and boost your multiple. Right, so Gary, what are the typical multiples that businesses are are sold at do you have any idea and this it, is multiples really of profit varies. right yeah there's multiples of profit um it, it really varies i mean I, I can't give like um like a benchmark because it depends again on all of these variables okay um in, in terms of you know having if you have a tightly focused brand 
uh, portfolio products, then you can get a higher multiple. If you have more net margins, you can get a higher multiple. Um, if you have some diversification of sales away from Amazon, that's how you can get a higher multiple. Um, I think one of the biggest surprises for me is from the buyer's perspective, anything black hat, okay? People are doing black hat stuff. Like I, I'm sure you guys are well aware of this. This is like very risky when it comes to a buyer. In fact, they'll ask you specifically what can they do to like mitigate that because you know that's not sustainable when it comes to um, um, you know buyers like looking to invest in, invest in a legitimate investment vehicle. Um, I, th I think that's something that that's very important that a lot of people are are neglecting because they could be doing black hat stuff to get more reviews, you know, this that the other thing. Um, I, I think that that's one of the, the key takeaways as well. Right. Okay. Awesome. Well, this has been such a great list, Gary. So if someone wants to watch all of these interviews and get access to seven figure seller summit, how do they do that? And is this Definitely. free or paid or tell yes. us everything about it? Yeah. So, um, if you listen till the end, uh, first of all, thank you. And I hope that this has been helpful. Uh, you're not just like my friend or Megala's friend, but you know, this is actually useful content. Um, you know, this, these top 10 takeaways, these are only, you know, my personal interpretation and it's only the, the tip of the iceberg, you know, from the valuable knowledge and practical experience that these 20 plus seven figure sellers and experts uh, gave. So if people want to check out the full interviews, they can visit sevenfiguresellersummit.com and they can sign up for a free pass for a limited time. And then they can catch the, the full interviews there. Right. Um, okay. So all of the in interviews are for free um, for a limited time. And then if you want to upgrade to an all access pass, you need to pay if you want to get access to all of the interviews, um, you know, lifetime access to all of the interviews. Yes. And it's a nominal... Yeah, Price of yeah, they, they have an option to upgrade to the all access pass. So they'll get the full interviews um, you know, on demand. They can watch anytime they want. And then we also have the audio download. So, you know, you can load it onto your phone, you know, whether you're running errands or, you know, doing stuff all over the house. And then um, I, I think just right now, as, as of the time we're recording, you know, this could be a way that you can help, um, you know, stop binging on Netflix and start surrounding yourself with seven figure sellers so you can uh, level up your business. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, uh, all India sourcing trip attendees have uh, got free access to to all up to seven figure Sell seller summit and all of the videos they've got, you know, free, free access to the all access pass. And um yeah, the feedback that I've gotten from them is that the videos are very informational and because you yourself are a seller, Gary, so the questions that you ask these experts are very relevant and you're able to get, you know, a lot of, you're able to extract the right information from these experts. I think interviewing is also an art. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you know, I created it to scratch my own itch. I mean, it's, it's by a seller for sellers. Exactly. So that's, uh, that's my goal. And I'm also trying to help out as many people online as I can. And um, yeah, so yeah, feel free to check it out. And um, thank you, Megla, for your time. It's been a pleasure. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Gary. This was really good. And I hope to see you around soon. <laughs> Hopefully yes, in person in so. India. Yeah, yeah, I hope, <laughs> I hope so too, soon. Excellent. Awesome. All right, take care, Gary.